Hi guys, and welcome to the very first episode of Tea Talks with Kuru. If it wasn't made obvious as yet, I'm your host, Kuru. A bit about myself, I like tea and books, if the name of the podcast hadn't already given that away. Just to give you a quick rundown of what to expect in this newly launched series, each episode will feature two things, a couple of fun facts about a random tea and my review of a book that I've read. If you're lucky, I'll somehow link both book review and tea fact together like a lovely little trivia. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our book of the day, Girls of Unton by Melissa Basharus. I hope I pronounced her last name correctly, but I probably butchered it. Now this lovely book features Persian mythology, which I personally knew next to nothing about, so it was definitely a nice way for me to learn about some of their folklore and their myths. And then it only seemed fair to make sure our tea of the day was something Persian-inspired, no? So with that in mind, today's tea is a nice classic cup of black tea, which is actually the most popular tea in Iran. Apparently, tea and Persia have been linked since the 15th century. That's way back when the Silk Road from China spanned through India and Co. That's an amazingly long time. The late 19th century saw an increase in tea prices, and an Iranian ambassador pushed for Persia to grow their own teas. Although reluctant at first, farmers eventually agreed, and this resulted in the Iranian tea gardens, a whooping 35,000 hectare project. That's amazing, and a lot of tea. So that's completely mind-blowing, because what first started out as a way to decrease expenditure in the country became a large source of revenue. Now that dude had a good eye for business. Black tea is also my favorite tea, coincidentally. I wasn't even sure if Persia had anything to do with tea, but lucky me, they actually did. So enough about uh, all that history of tea. Now that we've learned something about black tea, we're going to learn something about Persian mythology. So Girl Serfantone follows the life of Saraya, a princess of the kingdom of Govaha. The kingdom is Arabian slash Persian inspired, so think colorful rugs, dripping fabrics, um, hot winds blowing in from the desert, that sort of thing. So it's, I'm sure you have a really pretty picture in your mind right now, right? Anyway, Saraya is the sister of the Shah. The Shah is an Arabian term for king. She is the Shadaze Banu, basically the Arabian for princess. I just love it when books inspired by myths include their language or just anything related to it. It just makes it feel more authentic, at least to me, but enough of those ramblings. Anyway, so Saraya is the Shadaze, sorry, and her brother, Sarosh, is the Shah. Now comes the interesting part. Saraya is kept away from her family and her people because she can kill with a touch. Yeah, poor girl is afflicted with a curse, and that curse makes her touch poisonous to humans. So because of this, she's locked away in one of their vacation homes, quote-unquote, and it's the only vacation home where there are lots of secret um, passageways and such, so it's easier to hide her. Now, one of the quotes in this book, just before you start actually reading, is, I am both the Sleeping Beauty and the Enchanted Castle. The princess drowses in the castle of her flesh. That's by Angela Carter from Vampirella, and that was just beautiful. Like, as soon as I read that, I was like, yes, yes, this is going to be a good book. That just hit me right where, it hit me somewhere deep in my heart, somewhere there. It was amazing. So anyway, now, before we get into the crooks of the story, you should know that her mother, Tamini, so this is the mother of Sarush and um, Soraya, so her mother, when she was a little girl, 
she went close to the forest out on the outskirts of the kingdom and she freed a woman who was trapped in a net. But that woman was actually the prisoner of the destroyer. Or in this case, and destroyer in this case is a demon, this really evil demon. And because of that, he cursed her that her firstborn would be her firstborn. Her firstborn was going to be poisonous, but only firstborn child in general, the firstborn daughter. So that was really um, cool, and I was like, wow, okay, let's see, this is interesting. So I kept on reading, and basically, Soraya, since her touch is poisonous to humans, she's kept away from them and the family at large, because um, if the people found out that she was cursed, it could kind of disrupt her brother's ruling on their position and they could be in danger. So Saraya understands this and she allows herself to be kind of pushed away from her family. However, she found out that her touch doesn't affect plant life. So as a result of the lack of human interaction, she now has a pretty green thumb. So she spends most of her days reading stories and gardening away and keeping out of the eye of the public. Now, one of the cool things is that the history, the, well, the Persian mythology is interwoven into the history of Sarah's family in that we have this uh, phoenix-like creature called Simor, and basically it's the symbol of protector of Atasha. Atasha is the um, city in the kingdom of Gavoha, and basically the Simor had given a feather to one of her family members way down in the line, and that was a symbol of its protection and its backing of the kingdom of Atasha. Uh, sadly, that feather kind of got misplaced somewhere between her great-grandfather's time and her father's time. So they didn't know where it was exactly. So um, one night, um, this was when the royal family was coming back to that quote-unquote vacation home to celebrate both Nogros, which is basically um, their version of New Year, to celebrate life, and also to celebrate the wedding of her brother and one of her really good friends, which we'll get to in a minute. So anyway, basically, they, the royal family came to celebrate Nogros, and with them, they also brought a prisoner. And this prisoner was not human. This prisoner was a deaf, which is the modern Persian term, I believe, for a demon. So anyway, they, there's this deaf, and Sarah finally gets hope. She's like, I can go ask this demon to see if uh, it can break my curse. She gets hope. Unfortunately, her mother, Tamini, forbids her entry into that um, dungeon to try and ask that deaf anything, because they're known as liars and deceitful and that sort of thing, you know? So they're really bad. So Sarah's completely heartbroken and then she gets angry because she thinks that her mom doesn't want her to get better. So she takes it upon herself to go and ask her brother's permission because the Shah would overrule his mother. And at first Suresh was against it but then later he did ask her only download to go and ask the Deev about her curse, but also to find out why the deeds have been attacking more and more of the kingdom, because the army was stretched thin and they really didn't know what to do. So Sarah was like, okay, I'll, suck up, I'll, I'll just suck it up and I'll say I'll do it, because I want to get better, I'd like to beat my family. So she goes into the dungeon and she meets this thief, 
called Pavani and Pavani is a parik and a parik is a div that's mostly human looking and I believe they have really pretty um, moth like wings. So yeah, this is Pavani. And at first Pavani really just plays with her. She's like, well, you know, you need to do something for me before I can answer your question or whatever. Long story short, she's after the Simok's feather. But unfortunately, Shreya doesn't know where it is. Your family doesn't know where it is. So now Shreya has fallen into another hopeless despair. She really doesn't know what to do at this point. And then comes the day of Nogaroth, the actual day of the festival. And after trying to get away from seeing her family looking so happy with Suresh and his bride-to-be Lali and her mother Tamini, and she doesn't really feel she belongs, so she tries to run away. And she runs smack into Azad. Azad is one of the people that brought, was brought back by the royal family to Nogras, beca- sorry, because he helped capture Pavani. So there's a little... um. It, it has a really big plot twist for that one. But anyway, so Azad sees Soraya and she he always had this dreamlike thing in his mind that, you know, he would meet the infamous princess of um, Atasha and he'd be able to save her from whatever was uh, whatever problems were plaguing her and then they'd ride off into the sunset, right? So it's kind of like a girl having a fairy tale, but in this case, it's the boy having the fairy tale dream. So I thought that was, like, really funny. Um, It was cute, but it was really funny also. But anyway, so Azad agrees to help Soraya. And then she recalls that in the past, when she went to the Temple of Fire to pray to the Creator for forgiveness for being, uh, well, everything that connotates to the the destroyers, because her touch brings death, literally. Um, There was this div, another div, um, Ayatu, I believe. And Ayatu is another Persian-inspired word. I believe it's Middle Persian, if I'm remembering that correctly. And it means sorcerer. So that was just a little fun fact. Anyway, so basically, she went to the fire temple to pray for forgiveness. And, you know, just to center herself. And then this Ayatu, disguised as a high priest, comes and basically puts her down. And is like, you know, you're evil, you deserve to burn in hell, and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so later she finds out that he was chased off and he was put to execution, actually, and then he somehow escaped. And then she looks outside at that same time while recalling that. And she sees the, I believe it's called the Darkmon. I believe it's called the Darkmon. Right. And that place is basically where all where every all the corpses in the kingdom go to. So um, in this book, they don't bury their dead, but the dead are left um, to the elements in this kind of circle that's raised to the sky. So scavengers come and pick their bones clean, the elements batter the bodies, and then they eventually return to the creator. So she decides to go to the Rachman, and Azad goes with her, and there they find the Yatsu. And she, the actor reveals that the only way for Soraya to get cured is to get the Simog's feather. Because it has restorative properties, it can heal almost anything. And he also reveals its location, and I need a drum roll for this. So basically, the Simog's feather is in the fire temple in the um, royal flame, uh, well, royal fire. And that royal fi- fire protects the kingdom, Shah. 
So the only way she can heal herself is if she goes and outs that, outs that fire, putting her brother in danger to cure herself. Now that makes Soraya at war with herself. She has to to get what she wants. She has to put her family in danger and she really loves her family. And then she ends up killing Diatu because the deal was that Diatu tells her where the fellow was and she'd get him pardoned for his crimes because he was on the execution block. But the Yatu got greedy, and he was like, what What do you think the Shah's going to pay to get back his sister? And she ends up killing him. And now, she, now her heart is more torn. She just took her life. Maybe she really is evil. Maybe she really did deserve this curse. And then she goes back, and she ends up in the dungeon with Pavani. And there she, just, she starts to blame Pavani. She was like, oh, if you didn't tell me about the Simog's feather, I would have never gone to the Atun and I would have never ended up killing him and whatnot. And then Pavani was like, because Pavani realizes that she's in such turmoil, she just lets her get it out. She's like, what really happened, Daddy Dakma? And Sharia lays her heart bare and whatnot. And then after that, Pavani asks her what she's going to do. And then it's revealed that the curse that Tamani... If so, who, if you're following, is um, Saraya's mother. The curse that Tamani told Saraya she um, was afflicted with was that the destroyer cursed her to, uh, cursed her firstborn daughter to um, have a poisonous touch. That was actually not true. So Pavani reveals that uh, Tamani actually brought Saraya to her sisters, the, to the other party, so when Saraya was born and asked them to curse her daughter. And that just broke Soraya completely. She was already so ha- she was already so heartbroken over having to take her life and then having to decide which was more important, freeing herself of that curse or making sure her brother was still protected. And that, that just kinda threw her over the edge. So Pavani um told her about this child that was brought in this blanket wrapped in stars, right? And she was telling her that she was probably given a few drops of the blood of some leaf because she only had she had only her touches poisonous. Like she still looks human and whatnot. So she taking this information into consideration. Um, Sarah once goes back to her mother's antechamber, antechamber, and she searches and she finds that blanket of stars, and she is heartbroken. It really takes a toll on her, and she realized how. So she realizes that her mother was lying to her, and then she was just like, you know what, the hell was with all of it, and she ends up in the fire temple with Azad, and the, he, basically he's like a boy scout by this point. He's following her like a puppy. He's with her one hundred percent of the way, and then he ends up killing the two guards at the fire temple, and. Uh, she was aghast. She was like, why did you kill them or whatever? But then she puts it out of her mind because she steals herself. She's like, right, I'm doing this. We already got so far. So she outs the royal fire and she takes the Simog's feather. And then that's when she realizes she made a really big mistake because she ends up getting healed. She gets what she wanted, you know? But... Then she finds out that Azad was really the Shamar in disguise. So, or the destroyer. And basically the Shamar in their history, 
He was just really evil dude and he did the worst. He slaughtered his family to get the throne and he he just killed a lot of people and he was just he was just evil incarnate, right? And she realized that this person that she was growing so close to to consider as a friend and to get really like was this evil entity. It really surprises and breaks her to some extent. So at this point, Shara is healed. She gets what she wants. At the cost of her entire kingdom's safety, her family's safety. It's just horrible, right? So after she is healed and whatnot, Azad reveals his grandmaster plan. Well, he's no longer Azad, really. That was who he was before he was cursed. He's actually Shamar. And now he... Um, plans his grandmaster plan to take back what he thinks is his kingdom. So he set the Shah Sussurj to be executed and the family and he imprisoned the rest of them and it was just a big mess. But luckily Sarah actually does manage to escape with and she ends up freeing Pavani. And then later on in the book they meet up and they hatch a plan to try and you know take back the kingdom to try and defeat the Shamar. And then Sarai learns of a bit of the history of the Shamar. And apparently, he was so well-versed that he managed to capture our div eons ago. And he kept that div imprisoned and kept on asking it for like the secrets of the world, the secrets of their kind, that sort of thing. And that div kind of manipulated him to start turning towards being more, uh, to be evil and to, you know, be more greedy for his position. He, so he killed his brothers, he killed his father, he took the throne, and slowly but surely he realized that he was becoming less human and more demon-like. And then he, was, he wasn't happy with that. When he realized, he went back to the Dave and he was like, well, listen, you need to help me get back to normal, X, Y, and Z. And then he turned his anger to the, to the Dave's in general, and he started killing a lot of them and bathing in, his, in their blood. But it only made him more monstrous because, and this is just a, um, by the way, so bathing in the blood from a Dave's heart makes the human take on the properties of that particular div. So since I only got a few drops when she was a baby, she only got uh, the power to um, kill with a touch. So she didn't really turn monstrous or that sort of thing. Anyway, so that so the Shamar is affected with this curse, he's trying to fix it, and plot twist, that div he captured, yeah, that was Pavani, and she was pissed. So she was. So she thought she was well within her rights to you know lead him astray. And so what if he kills his family? He imprisoned her and he forced her into captivity. And if it's one thing with Patiks, they really like freedom. They roam in the forest, so they don't like to be imprisoned. So Soraya has to cope with learning that Pavan is the, basically the reason for all of this. The Shamar is still there and he's still behind her because the original curse was that he'd take Tamani's, uh, Tamani, sorry. She, he'd take her firstborn daughter as his bride. That was the original curse. And Tamani decided to, you know, get that curse from the party that her daughter's touch was poisonous to kind of save Saraya. So at this point, Saraya realized she misunderstood her mother. She put her family and her kingdom in mortal peril just for, like, at this point, what seems like a trivial wish. And now she has to try and fix it because her mother um, helped distract 
all the demon gods to give her that chance. So, while she's um, pondering all this or whatever, she stumbles upon this secret alcove and going into it, she finds the Seamorg. This bird had disappeared for thousands of years and they didn't know where it was. Apparently, the Shaman had somehow captured it and chained it to this pillar and the poor thing could only move enough to get food and water but it was chained there and at that point she starts feeling helpless her deadline for answering the shamar as to whether she would be his bride or watch her family executed is nearing and it's just a lot of feels you know but eventually when um they do reach that point where her family is set up for execution and she has to watch from the other side. She had, at that point, released Pavani again from her captivity and told her about her findings with the Sigmorg and whatnot. And then they find they actually do reach just before Surush is executed. And fun fact, Azad was actually making Saraya behead her brother. But thankfully that didn't happen. Anyway, so the Pavani and the rest of the Pariks just come in and, you know, they're there to fight, they're there to save them because another Parik, one of her sisters, Parisia, and Sarah's mother, Tamini, were actually good friends and Pariks helped their friends. So they swoop in and it's an all-out battle. And, you know, they and they do end up winning. They corner the Shamar, they corner Azad, and he's completely pissed he's angry he doesn't understand why he was defeated um he was also he was also kind of aghast that you know Soraya would um deceive him like that and she was like well you taught me how to and yeah I thought that was a really good comeback but anyway after that they corner him on the roof and he tries to make one last attempt to you know win take someone down with him so he slits Tamani's throat, and at that point, that kind of tips Soraya over the edge. And remember, at this point, she doesn't have her ability to kill with her touch. But in a last-ditch effort, before the executions, she tried to she soaked the um starry blanket where a couple drops of the Teak's blood had fallen. And she actually, like, that, she went and she bathed in that water. And she didn't see any effects, but... So she threw the water out, and she thought it was all lost. But at that moment, the tipping stone was seeing her mother's throat slit. And it just erupted. Her power just erupted. And thorn sprang from her body. And she her form changed completely to that of a And it was just awesome. And that was pretty symbolic as well because in the end, when they all won or whatever and the Shamar was defeated, Sarush and Lali do end up, um, you know, getting engaged and they're planning to get married or whatnot. And the royal family is leaving and she has decided, Saraya, to stay with the Patiks and to, to help keep an eye on the Div army that was um, following the Shamar. So, and the thing with these is that they only follow, like, the strong or whatnot. So when they saw that Ishamar was defeated, they had already, you know, decided to, that fighting wasn't worth it or whatnot. So she's following the party, and she's going to be living with Pavani and Parisa and all of their sisters. And she'll be keeping an eye on the deals to make sure that her kingdom and her family are safe. And the final, um, the last couple of paragraphs, 
you see that Isimog comes to visit her and it offers her one of its feathers again. The same feather that started all of this, the same feather that can help heal her so that her touch is not poisonous, so that she looks like a human again. And she watches Isimog and she was like, thank you, but I don't need it anymore. And that's really symbolic of her finally accepting herself fully. Because if you, when you read the book, and I highly recommend that you do, because not only is it really good to get an insight into Persian um, mythology, I just think it was a really good book as well in general. And at first I didn't like Soraya, honestly. I thought she was very um, weak-minded, that she was very meek, that she wasn't very strong-willed. But to see her fall down so many times and to still get back up to try and fight, even though she knew that there was a higher chance with each fall that she would not succeed, really showed me how wrong it was that she actually did have a strong will and she was actually a strong character, even though it was portrayed as weak in the beginning. So basically, she has come to accept herself, accept all that she is, inclusive of her curse, and she realizes that she's better off with it everything that makes her who she is. So Rissimog, um, it's, po- it's portrait that Rissimog looks at her like it's proud of her and then it flies to follow the royal, the royal family back to the capital where they're going to, you know, continue to rule from there. And then they'd, she'd um, see her family again for spring back at the same place. So I thought that that was really cute, you know, that she actually didn't decide to heal herself in the end. And another point is that she and Pavani end up liking each other. So that was probably, that probably helped factor it in. Like she, so there were more pros than cons to her curse in all actuality, if she only stopped to, you know, realize that. So I thought that was really cool. Um, Girls of Funtone is definitely one of the best books that, I've read so far. I can't remember if I read it this year or last year. Um, but it was a really good book. I liked the literature. I liked how the characters were portrayed. I especially like that it was about a mythology that isn't so, you know, um, current, quote-unquote, for lack of better words, because um, as of now, a lot of people talk about Roman mythology or Greek mythology. So it was a nice change of pace, and I enjoyed reading the book legitimately. And I think that if you th- I think that if you like mythology in general and you like characters who, you know, somehow through all the odds end up winning, I think Girls of Anton is the book for you. So yeah. And if you've read reached this far and you actually did enjoy this series, well this first episode of the series, I would urge you to share the link with somebody you think might enjoy this book um please leave a like follow me on instagram and look out for the next episode yeah so thank you for being here with me for the past couple of minutes and i hope you have a nice day